Welcome to Canyon West Church this morning. We are, I am so happy to see all the beautiful faces out there. We have, um, unfortunately, I have uh, several things to cover, so, <laughs> so um, you guys are just going to have to bear with me here for a little bit. But um, I first just want to remind you that you're here for a purpose. God had a purpose, has a purpose for you being here today at this time to share in this worship, to hear this message. You're here for a reason. And so I just want you to remember that as you listen and hear what God has to say to you is that he brought you here today for a very special purpose. Um, okay, we're going to try to go through this pretty quickly. Like I said, we have several things to cover. But Tuesday night Bible studies are not meeting this week. We're taking spring break off. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, no Tuesday night Bible studies this week. Jill's ladies, I'm sure you keep track of your schedule, but you all are not meeting this week as well. Um, Wednesday night Bible study at 6.30 is here at the church. They are taskmasters and do not take spring break. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, right. They're so highly spiritual. The rest of us are just, you know, yes. So, um, Sunday night Bible study has yet to be determined, uh, so we'll find out more about that sometime. Next food bank is April 8th and 9th, so mark that on your calendars. Um, Sunday, April 17th is Easter, yes, like the greatest, the greatest ever. So Easter is, I mean, Easter is the whole reason we're here and together, right, and why we have hope, so... So let's uh, get our dancing shoes on for Easter, guys. Um, Friday 29th, Secret Church. Uh, I talked a little bit about what Secret Church was last week, but it is um, David Platt started a ministry after serving in some Asian countries where churches had to be underground, and um, he wanted to bring the opportunity here for us to gather, learn some deep Bible truths, and pray for those, for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted in all, all the countries where that happens, which there are a great number. So that is what Secret Church is about. If you want to get some serious, just in-depth Bible teaching and chance to pray for those who are persecuted and appreciate our freedom, then I would highly recommend coming to Secret Church. Friday, April 29th. Uh, we have uh, Jesus with the skin on, which is um, what we call it when we ask for special offerings to help with uh, certain needs that have been identified in our church family. And um, Naomi Fritzlin, um, most of you know who Walt and Naomi are. Some of you may not because they, they were unable due to health issues to be here at church for probably the last year. Um, Walt passed away a few weeks ago. Naomi is um, his widow, and their daughter, Wendy, is staying with her. But um, they do have some needs, and we would uh, 
just encourage you over and above your normal giving to the church if you could give a little and just write on your check or on an envelope if you prefer cash or that that is designated for the Fritzland family and we will see that it gets to them but they could use some relief in that way um, we have uh, also um, it, since we're on the subject of financial need we'll just hit all that at once um, we don't pass the plate here at Canyon West Church. We have a cute little back, black box in the back of the room where you, if you feel led, you can um, place your offerings and tithes in that black box. Uh, we are also needing to concentrate. There are a couple of uh, extraordinary expenses that the church is looking at right now um, related to our audiovisual equipment. Both of our projectors over here and over there, as you can see, are a little dimmer and uh, not as sharp and clear as what we've got up here. And they're much more expensive to maintain. So um, we are hoping to replace those screens, projectors, with um, similar TV setup to what we have up here. And um, anything that you all could contribute towards that co additional cost um, would be great as well. So you could also indicate that on whatever you um, use to uh, drop your offering in the box. That would be great. Um, you know, technology, we just have to keep moving forward. So that would be, that would be helpful. We also need some volunteers in that area, in our audio and visual uh, ministry. We need volunteers, slide volunteers, um, soundboard potential volunteers, and um, we stream our services live every Sunday. We have been doing that since COVID, and we need someone that could oversee that part of it and also work on our social our social media presence. So if any of those things appeal to you all or you feel God leading you in any of those areas or you have some skills and abilities that you would like to share with us in those areas, we would say, yay. <laughs> so, so, let us know. so let Phil, Pastor Phil or uh, Pastor Nate, Nathan know if you are willing to... Um, serve in that area or if you just want more information to still decide if you want to serve or not then you know don't be afraid just say um could you tell me a little bit more about that and i know that they will uh, night vision is a great christian concert event that happens mostly every year with the exception of covid related things but we all know about that um July 8th and July 9th, but it looks like it's going to be here rather than in Olathe. So keep your eyes open for more information <laughs> about that. Um, so uh, two of the artists that I saw are Crowder that is going to be there. So that's, I find that exciting. And um, also Jeremy Camp, which yeah, if you've ever heard him before, he's fabulous. So, so looking forward to that. 
Also, um, our ladies have a, a walking group. Did you even know that? I didn't know that. But our ladies have a walking group. And now that the weather is getting nicer, they want to start walking. They do it at the Little Saltwash Park, 10 o'clock in the morning on Wednesdays. So any of you that would like to participate in that, um, meet at Little Saltwash Park. If you want to know more about that, you can ask, talk to Miss Wendy over here. And um, then just sharing a little good news and a praise. Um, you all know that we have a mortgage on this um, unit G, this large unit right here. And we have had, um, for the last several years, the owner has carried that mortgage for us, and we've just been able to make the payments to the owner and, um, and accrue some equity, et cetera, et cetera. And the owner, actually the owner's um, children, as the owner passed away this earlier this year, um, have agreed to continue that arrangement. So for three more years, I believe. We're extending that plan so we can continue to have them carry the mortgage and we can just continue to pay promptly as we always have. Thank you, Lord. And voila, there we are. So um, let's just praise God for that. What do you say? All right. Uh, so I'll close in prayer and then we'll have Pastor Phil bless us. Precious Father, I just thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us. Thank you for the opportunity to be together again, to be with one another, to praise you and worship you together. And Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings that you shower upon us. We know there is some pain and heartbreak that has happened through the last weeks and months, Lord, and we just ask for your healing touch and comfort for those that need it. And Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, thank you for the gift of this day, for the gift of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all this morning. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 13. We're in verses 18 through 30. I'm going to start a little bit before verse 18, just because it helps us set the scene. We have uh, three topics for today that are in your message map. The first topic is we're going to talk about God's plan. God's plan. The next one we're going to talk about is Judas. Judas, son of... Um, Simon Iscariot, and then we're going to talk about believers. That's our application portion is going to be for believers. In our message, it's, it's to the disciples, and then it carries out to us. I titled this message today, Wasted Opportunity. And that's what we see when we, uh, when we talk about Judas. We see wasted opportunity, and that gets us to our, our application as believers. So we're going to be in John chapter 13. And uh, again, our, our, our verse is 18 to 30, but I'm going to start in verse 10. It says, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. 
Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So again, we have three things for today. The first one is God's plan. The second one is we're going to talk about Judas. The third one is we're going to take our application and apply that to us as believers. For our setting portion, we're going to talk about, again, this is, this is Thursday. It's the Thursday evening of, of Passover week. Jesus and the disciples have returned to Jerusalem for the Passover. They have dined with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany. And Jesus has been anointed by Mary and by another woman. Mary poured nard on his feet and wiped them with her hair. The other woman poured perfume on his head. We're going to go to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And we need this passage because it talks about all of our things. It talks about belief. It talks about God's power. It also talks about Judas. So here we are. We're in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, with whom Jesus said... Excuse me, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for me at the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I want to pause here. Again, we're talking about God's power. I want you to notice that we knew that, Jesus, that Judas was a thief. Jesus knows that. I want you to also notice that it's part of the plan, that his being a thief, his being a betrayer is not outside of God's plan. 
Then I want you to notice here in verse 7 what Jesus says. He says, It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. He is projecting his death coming forward. That prophecy is his sight seeing forward. And we get kind of casual about this, don't we? About God seeing the future, about God having power over time. We, sh- we shouldn't do that. We cannot be casual when we see these words that talk about powers that we don't have any concept of. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus. If we were to read the other anointing, it's over in either Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, or Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. It says, While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, we're going to look at these two instances, and this is just a little bit of Bible knowledge, a little bit of background knowledge, why I'm saying that it's two separate instances. Some people will conflate these and make them one. I would say they are not, and this is why. The location is the same. They're both in Bethany, except they're at two different homes. John chapter 12 takes place in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mark 14 and Matthew 26 take place in the home of Simon the leper. The dates are different. John chapter 12 occurs six days before the Passover. Mark 14 occurs two days before the Passover. The person is different. Mary is named. The other woman is not. The anointing is different. In one, the alabaster jar is broken and poured over on Jesus' head versus Mary pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet and then wiping them with her hair. Those are the differences. The similarities, though, are striking. They're striking. And again, These pictures of intimate worship, these times when people are this close to Christ, touching him, blessing him, pouring perfume out on them, they're uncomfortable, but it gives us a picture of relationship. When we are seeking, when we say, I give my whole heart to God, these ladies put it into practice. And again, part of this, and we're going to see this, is that Jesus is going to say, this is for my death. He is going to be predicting his death in there. He's also going to be predicting his betrayal. So those are the similarities. And we see the reaction is very similar. Some of those present were saying indignantly to another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Almost the exact same reaction. And Jesus almost says the exact same thing. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And again, I know it seems like we've kind of gone way off topic, but did you notice those things that Jesus said? Let me ask you a question. How many of you are going to die? Right. All of us. Right? As appointed man wants to die. All of us are going to die. I'm sorry if that's a spoiler alert for anyone. How many of us know when? Anyone? None of us do. None of us know when. This is absolutely exceptional that Jesus repeatedly tells us exactly when he is going to die, where he is going to die, how he is going to die, even though 
by all appearances, he really has no control over it. He didn't make the Sanhedrin issue a warrant for his arrest. He didn't make the Romans agree to the arrest. He didn't make the Roman cohort come and arrest him. He didn't make any of that happen, but yet he did. God's power was behind all of this, and it was for a purpose. We should take a moment and marvel at these events because it truly speaks to God's hand and God's plan through everything. So we're going to go to John chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. It just reiterating reiterating these things that, again, he's saying it was intended for his burial. It's right there. It says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Again, over in Mark, it says the exact same thing. The poor you will always have with you, and you can have them anytime, but you will not always have me. He's saying, I'm going away. And again, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Who talks like this? Only Jesus. That's who. Right? I mean, all of us should have a will. All of us should have those papers taken care of. We should make sure that our families are are set for those things. But only Jesus talks specifically about when he is going to die, how he is going to die, where he is going to die, and at what place. We see this. We've got three different times we're going to pull out of Matthew, which is Jesus predicting his death. And I want you to think about this in terms of how it affects us as believers, as believers. Him predicting his death takes what would otherwise be a very tragic situation, a sorrowful situation, a situation that might reduce our belief or erode our belief. And instead, it's a fulfilled prophecy. And instead, it strengthens our belief by him giving us this prophecy, this forewarning, this foreshadowing. Instead of this tragedy striking us and bringing us down, it helps build us up. So in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 through 23, it says, When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief, rightly so. The second time, Matthew chapter 20, says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus repeatedly not only said when he was going to die, but where and how. And Jesus also controlled the when. We're going to look at this a little bit further. Because when we go to John chapter 11, it says, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? Verse 57, though, But the chief priests and the Pharisees had what? They had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So you have this showdown that's coming. You have Jesus and the disciples headed back to Jerusalem, but the rulers have said, we're going to arrest him. So when it comes to this Passover meal, you have to understand the authorities are looking for this opportunity. And so when we get to this Thursday night, when they're gathering together in this upper room, if if Jesus had, op- had the opportunity, if he had known where they were going to meet, it was just Jesus and the disciples. If the Romans had shown up then, they would have arrested not only Jesus, 
but also all of the disciples. So instead, we get this cloak and dagger. Jesus foreknew this and controlled this. So again, picture this differently. Picture that we have the triumphal entry, which we will cover on Palm Sunday. Jesus goes to the temple and he clears the temple courts again. And then they come to this house raid and they send the cohort and they get the whole batch of them all at once. That's not what happened though. The dinner is where? It's not at Mary and Martha's house, right? Which is where they had eaten just a few days before. It's not at Simon's house that they ate at just two days before. Instead, it's at a complete stranger's house. Jesus sends Peter and John to find a guy carrying a water jar to lead them to the house. It's very cloak and dagger. Like, if you were watching this movie, there would be papers handed off, a briefcase, something. But that's exactly what happens here. We read this in Mark chapter 14. He says, So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Okay? Follow him. Say to the owner of the house that he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready, and make preparations for us there. Very cloak and dagger. But it served the purpose, didn't it? It protected the disciples until that evening when they were at the garden, when it was dark, when all they would arrest is Jesus. Very controlled underneath God's power. So we're going to go to Jesus' arrest, which is in Matthew chapter 26. It says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now listen to verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? This is all part of the plan. If Jesus had wanted to defeat these guys, he would have defeated them. If he wanted to escape this arrest, he could have escaped the arrest. If he wanted to stop all of this in its tracks, overthrow the government, do all of those pieces, it was well within his power to do so. He chose this. This is part of the plan. But he says it right here. He says, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? See, we get casual about Jesus seeing the future. We forget that how exceptional it is that he regularly, accurately predicted these events. And he says he had more than 12 legion of angels to protect him. This is all part of the plan, though. And notice what he says, verse 54. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that it says it must happen this way? Verse 56. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. There are multi-billion dollar industries that are built on the fact that we cannot predict the future. You see the ads for them all the time. All these betting apps, all these sports apps. Why? 
because we cannot see the future. And it changes the entire aspect of the cross. God was not surprised. God was not taken aback. God's plan was not thwarted at the cross. God was not delayed. None of that happened. As the disciples sitting there, as believers sitting here, we can rest, we can lean into the fact that God is on the throne and is in control. Now, we are responsible for our actions. We are. But God's plan is inevitable. And if Jesus had not warned everyone multiple times about his death and resurrection, our belief might be shaken. We might wonder about the power of Satan, how Satan could disrupt God's plan, right? How Satan could do this. How could Satan lay hold of Jesus? How could this betrayal have happened? Instead, we know. We know how. Because it was under the power and the authority of Jesus. It was under his command, under his control. And we go, oh yeah, even this bad stuff, even when it all seems to have gone sideways, even when it all seems to have gone wrong, God is still in control. He's still at the wheel. And ultimately, it will come out for good. So instead, our belief is strengthened. I have to imagine that as, things event, as the events passed, as Jesus was hauled away and, and taken, you know, and, and beaten and then hung on the cross and then let out and all of those things, as each one of those things happened, you have to imagine it probably clicked in each of their minds, wait a minute, he said that. He said that was going to happen. He said he was going to be arrested. He said he was going to be handed over to the authorities. He said he was going to be flogged. Oh, wow. He said this. He told us multiple times this was going to happen. How? That had to happen in their minds. We're going to go to John chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. And specifically, we want verse 18, but it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. Why does he lay down his life? For the sheep, for us. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. Wait, Jesus, you lay down your own life? Okay. And you're going to take it up again? Oh. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus has full authority over life and death. When Jesus stands at the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out, what happens? Lazarus comes out of the tomb. Jesus has full power and full authority over life and death. And here he is saying, I must go to the cross. I lay my down, down my life and I will take it up again. So that brings us to the question, doesn't it? Why? Why does this have to happen? Why is this part of the plan? Why the cross? What is the purpose of this? Well, Paul, he must have read my mind because he, he answered this question. Maybe he speaks to you too. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Yeah, me too, Paul. 
sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but I, what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. There it is. There we are. We want to do good. We know what is right and good, but we don't always do it. And here's the thing about God. God is good. God is patient. God is loving. God is kind. God is merciful. God is forgiving. But God is also holy and righteous and just. And we wouldn't like God very much if he allowed the liars and the cheaters and the rapists and the murderers and the God-haters to escape punishment. Anybody want to spend eternity in that place? In the place ran by the, those people? The Jeffrey Epstein's, anybody want to go spend eternity on an island with Jeffrey Epstein? Anyone? I don't see any hands up. Good thing that God is just. What about me, though? I'm not perfect. I want to do good, but I mess up too. Am I cast out? God says, no. God says, I will reconcile you to me. I will pay the price. I will endure my wrath so you don't have to. Just flip the next page over to Romans chapter 8. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. This is the cross. Jesus was our sin offering. John 3.16 says exactly this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There are some fancy terms we can use. $3 words. Anybody need some $3 words? One is propitiation. Propitiation. Jesus was the conciliatory offering to God. The other is substitutionary atonement. 
atonement, to make right, to pay the price, to endure the punishment with the goal of restoring a right relationship. But we didn't pay the price. Jesus did. He took our place. He was our substitute. Jesus paid the price for us that we could have a restored relationship with God. So what's the key? How do we unlock this free gift that was given to us at the cross? Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have the answer. Just three easy installments of 1995. Call now. Operators are standing by. No. Belief. Belief is the key. It says it right there in John 3.16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief. So can we make it easier? Can we make it easier? Because sometimes belief and faith are kind of slippery, aren't they? We can choose to love God. We can commit ourselves to loving God. We can choose to love Jesus. You can say it now. We can say it now. We can commit to loving God. We read this last week, and we'll read it again. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13 say that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now I know we have spent quite a bit of time on this God's plan part. But we've spent that time because belief is necessary. Belief is required for our relationship with Jesus. Our belief can either be strengthened or weakened in our understanding of the cross and our understanding of, of Easter, of the resurrection. And the goal is for our belief to be strengthened, for us to take this time to marvel at God's plan for us to see and to be in awe of how God's will was not thwarted, but was fulfilled by the betrayal of Judas. Jesus says there are going to be a lot of things that happen that you don't understand. And this is true today, isn't it? We don't understand. We have a hard time sometimes seeing God working in events today. Betrayal, poor economy, fears of war, fears of famine, fears of recession. These events can either strengthen our belief or weaken our belief. If we have an understanding of God's power and can rest in his authority, our belief is strengthened. But if we haven't read the prophecies, if we haven't seen how even at the cross God's plan was not delayed but was fulfilled, if we don't know that Jesus knowingly and willingly and with power and authority laid down his life only to take it up again, when bad things happen, our faith will be shaken. We will wonder if God was surprised or if God really is in control. Do you see the difference? Do you see the importance? Why it's important that we have a good understanding that God is in control of God's authority, of God's power, of God's plan. It's foundational. It helps us get to our point of belief. And our contrast is Judas, isn't it? 
Judas is our contrast. I'm going to go to John 13, 11. We're just going to talk about Judas for a minute. It says, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. John 13, 17 through 18 says, Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. John's quoting Psalm 41, 9 there. It says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Clearly, Judas was a good liar. He was a thief stealing from the money bag. And the disciples have no idea he is the betrayer, the deceiver. Judas resolves to betray Jesus. And even after Jesus has, listen to what he has done. He has washed his feet. His heart does not change. Did you notice the arrangement at the table? Did, did you guys listen to that? So you've got John. You've got Peter. Right here at the right-hand side is Judas. Right at his right, the place of honor. Jesus gives Judas the place of honor at the table. Jesus washes his feet, gives him the place of honor at the table. Then he gives him the first morsel. He gives him the first serving. He takes the bread, he dips it, and he hands it to Judas. Gives him the first bite after blessing and breaking the bread. None of that changes Judas's heart. Judas will agree to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's about the price of a slave at the time. And after dinner, Jesus and the disciples will go to the garden at Gethsemane. It's the oil press or the olive press. And Jesus will be praying there when Judas brings Malchus, Caiaphas' assistant, and a Roman cohort to arrest Jesus. Judas comes and greets the Lord with a kiss, his signal to those guards of who Jesus is. Judas will die before Jesus does. He takes the money, and then he's racked with guilt at what he has done. So he tries to give the money back. And I don't know how horrible these guys were, but the very men who paid him won't take it. They look at him and say, I don't want that money back. That's blood money. <laughs> we gave it to you a few hours before, I know, but no. That's all stained now. So Judas throws it on the floor in the temple and runs away. The priest will take that money and go and buy the potter's field, make a, a grave for criminals and for, for, for criminals. He goes and he tries to hang himself. Doesn't work out very well, though. The rope breaks and he ends up falling, dashing himself open on the rocks down below. That's the end of his life. This man who spent three years walking, talking, eating, sleeping, listening to Jesus. This is the end result. And we're left here wondering how. How is that possible? How is it possible that someone could live and eat and breathe the same air as our Lord and not be saved? How is that physically possible? How could you have that opportunity? We like to think, gosh, if I was there just for one minute, if I could have five minutes in that spot, man, it'd be amazing. It's just wasted opportunity though, isn't it? 
Judas was given opportunity and was given privilege, and he wasted it. So he takes the bread and he eats it, and it says, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. That is Christ's power and authority right there. That is Jesus and Satan sitting at the same table together. And Jesus does what he tells Satan what to do, and Satan does it. That is God's power. That is God's authority right there. If you have any question at all about what God can do and what God cannot do, those two are sitting in the same room at the exact same table, and Satan had to obey. So Jesus turns to Judas and commands him. And Judas obeys, just like the demons obey. God is sovereign. God reigns. God rules. All his authority. His and his alone. Now, Judas is responsible for his own choices. But when Satan enters him, Jesus commands and he obeys. But again, at the end of it, we're left with this. Opportunity. Judas had great opportunity. And we have great opportunity. This man who lived and worked and walked with Jesus for those three years and still had a worldly, selfish heart who was willing to send an innocent man to the cross for 30 pieces of silver. What's funny is the disciples' reaction, the believers' reaction, right? Because Jesus announces at the table, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all going, is it me? Is it me, Lord? Am I, am I the one? They have no idea. That's how good of a liar Judas is. They're going, man, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? You got to love Peter because John's right here. Peter's right there. He goes, John, ask him who it is. <laughs> so John does. And Jesus tells him, he says, it's the guy I'm going to give the bread to. And then he hands the bread to Judas. So John knows. But even so, the rest of the disciples are still questioning. So when Judas gets up and he leaves, they still don't know. They figure he's gone to go run an errand. He's gone to go shopping before the, the stores are closed for the evening, for the holiday. Or he's gone to go do some task to take care of the poor. They're all wondering. And if there is a question that we should ask, it is this one. Are we in that place of mind, like the disciples, in that place of continuous repentance, of that place of continually questioning, is it me? Is it me? We're going to go to 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 23. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is, re is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. It's that heart of continuous confession, continuous repentance. We just need our feet washed. Once we're baptized, we don't need our whole bodies washed, just our feet washed. It's exactly what Jesus says. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, 
but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. We bring our sins daily before God. We seek his forgiveness, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And we try not to make the same mistakes. And we start our day with humility, seeking to serve those around us. It's exactly what Jesus says in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So when Jesus speaks out openly that one of them will betray him, these are humble guys. They look inside themselves. They see they are sinners. They are in wonder. They say, is it me? And then, Jesus, then Judas goes. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? We've gone through quite a bit, haven't we? We talked about God's plan, God's plan of salvation, God's plan of redemption. We've talked about God's power. We've talked about God's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows all things, past, present, and future. We still live in a fallen world, though, don't we? There are betrayers in our world. And quite frankly, the world loves it when Christians fall. Judas walked and talked and looked just like the other disciples. Even the disciples didn't know he was the betrayer. Judas still loved the world, loved money, loved power, loved position more than Christ. He loved himself more than Christ. And sitting here in this church this morning, we have something very similar to Judas and the disciples. We have opportunity and we have privilege. We have easy access to the Bible in our own language and we know how to read. We have easy access to sound teaching and to fellow believers. Look around you. You have fellowship. You can come to church, to any church you choose. You can worship how and when you see fit. The Word of God is poured out for you in almost any form that you seek, whether it's movies or books or podcasts or sermons or writings or commentaries in all kinds of different translations. You can go online for free and see, actually see pictures of the Scriptures. See them in Greek, see them in whatever language that you choose. None of us are going to be able to stand before God and say we didn't know couldn't know or had not heard about who Jesus is. And we have every opportunity to serve. You think about the food bank or the jail ministry or widows or orphans or Uganda or Thailand or South America. We have every opportunity to follow what is commanded there in verses 14 through 16. If you call, feel called to teach, Right? You can see me, you can see my wife, you can see Brooke, and go past the background, check, and jump right in. You feel called to worship? Nathan's right there. 
You want to go drill some wells or build some orphanages or help refugees? We have every opportunity. Jesus said, as I have served you, serve those around you. That's a hard lesson, isn't it? Especially when we look at what the disciples did. They dedicated their lives to spreading the gospel. They took their opportunity and went out to places near and far to their friends, their family, their co-workers, and spread the good news of Jesus, didn't they? So our takeaway is very simple this morning, and that is, in light of the gift that we have been given in Jesus, what will we do? What will we do with the opportunity and the privilege that we have been given? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another beautiful day in western Colorado. Thank you for time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these beautiful things that you have given us. Father, we are abundantly blessed. Father, we have our week coming up. And so we lay our lives before you this morning that we know our shortcomings. We know all the places we missed. We know all the harsh words and the wrongful things in our hearts. We lay those before you, Father, that you would wash our feet and send us out of here clean this morning. That, Father, that you would be glorified this week. That you would that these lampstands would shine brightly in Fruta, in Grand Junction, in our little valley this week. That our lips would not be silent, that our lives would be shining examples, that our paths would be straight. Father, guide us, correct us, do whatever it takes. Father, we lift up our, our children to you, that you would keep them safe and protect them that you would speak to them, that you would guide their words and thoughts and deeds. We lift up our world to you, Father, that your goodness and your mercy, that justice would be in the hearts and on the minds of all of our government officials, that good and righteous and holy thinking would be their only thoughts. We seek for peace. We seek for safety. Father, we just lift all of this up to you because we know there are people that are suffering right now. We know there are people right now who cannot gather in your name. We know there are people that are having to share single pages of your word and pray that they don't get caught. We ask for your Holy Spirit to break out, to just crash into everyone, that they would be drawn to you. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go fellowship.